This is the final lesson on telling others about the Lord. <clears throat> and uh, we've reviewed every time, and I want to do it once more. <clears throat> but what we're going to spend most of the time today is talking about giving your people verses of assurance of their salvation. When you lead someone to Jesus Christ, uh, a lot of Christians, unfortunately, are guilty of what we would call child neglect. <laughs> a lot of preachers are guilty of child neglect. In fact, if somebody gets saved and you never teach them and you never help and you never follow up and so forth and so on. Now, when you have uh, kids and those of you who have had children, you know that you, there's a little bit of, well, there's a little bit of care involved with a child, isn't there? Okay, yes, stupid, all right, preacher, all right, but at any rate. And uh, uh, Christians are the same way. Uh, now, look, a lot of times you probably lead someone to the Lord and you'll never see them again. People that got saved on the street or in the jails, well, <laughs> you're not going to be able to get in there very much and disciple them. But if you have an opportunity, you ought to try to help your converts along and try to stay in touch with them, not bug the fire out of them, amen, but try to help them and try to, uh, try to help them get uh, closer to the Lord. And uh, I don't know if you remember when you first got saved. And if you got saved young, that's a blessing. Just think of all the trouble you were spared from, right? And maybe you weren't. and Maybe you were, and but still got out there in the world and, and uh, got in, involved in some things that maybe you're not happy about. But a follow-up is the key. Kind of like shooting rabbits. If you don't have good follow-through, you'll never get the rabbit. Amen? <laughs> But uh, let's remember uh, just a couple things. Uh, let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, as we wrap this thing up on telling others about the Lord. And, Father, I know that you can't necessarily, you can't put everything into a classroom setting. So, Father, I pray that you'd stir our hearts, uh, Lord, to burden us for lost souls. And, Lord, we know that if we don't have a burden, it's a heart issue. And, Father, I pray that you'd help us to want to tell others about Jesus, help us to want to lead tracks. Lord, help us to be busy about the Father's business. Father, we know you've given us all rich uh, things richly to enjoy. And, Father, as we come in this morning, we're sure thankful for the beautiful artistry, the colors on the tree. It's like you, every time we come through, you've splashed a little bit more color. Father, thank you, Lord, for northern Michigan fall time. And, Father, I pray that you bless your people and bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in, uh, about telling others about the Lord, uh, again, if, if, if you remember, help me out here. But there's three motives we covered. Motives for telling us, for number one, is for their sake, all right? Why? They need Jesus Christ. Uh, they need the gospel. Uh, the second motive was for his pleasure. It pleases the Lord when we tell others about him. And then, of course, number three, for a living church. And uh, the local church, not only there's two churches, right? There's the organic spiritual church, universal church, we would call that, that every person that is saved is a part of. And then, of course, uh, the local church. And one of the most exciting things is when someone gets saved is that they're able to be in the local church, and that's a blessing, amen? I can look out uh, across our little country church and see the fruit of people being told about Jesus Christ, amen? And uh, you know what? We need to see that every once in a while, and it's a blessing. The truth about telling others, you said, number one, it's inconvenient, uh, number two, it's contrary to the flesh. In other words, you really don't wake up and go, I just can't wait to tell someone about the Lord today. And if you do, praise the Lord, you are the exception to the rule. All right? I wake up, and it, usually my flesh is screaming espresso or something strong and dark. Coffee, I'm talking about, of course. Uh, the third thing we talked about when uh, telling others, it's troublesome. Matter of fact, when you start telling others about Jesus Christ, you're going to get some kickback. You're going to have some trouble at the workplace. Listen now, if you're a witness for Jesus Christ, 
at the workplace and you do it the right way, you're going to get the stink on you. You will. It doesn't matter how good of an employee you are, it doesn't matter how smart, how talented, how, how you're stacked up for promotion and whether you're not you're second in command or first in command, if you are a witness for Jesus Christ at the workplace, it's going to get on you. And uh, we said this, not only is it troublesome, but it must be done. There was one objective, we said. <clears throat> only one reason we tell someone about the Lord, and that's what? See him saved. That's it. Not looking to sharpen our skills or become a better version of us. <laughs> We're just looking to tell someone about the Lord so that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, the methods of witnessing we went over, or you give your personal testimony. That's, of course, you're going to have to get to know the person a little bit better before oftentimes you're able to give it to them. Maybe you tell a family member your testimony. Uh, maybe you tell a coworker that you've uh, developed a relationship over the last couple months. Uh, another way of uh, method of witnessing we discussed was gospel tracts, and that should be our go-to method around here. Amen. Uh, ordered some more tracts, and uh, I'm not beating anybody up, but I'm just saying, look, uh, be nice to have to order tracks more often. We got some Halloween tracks. I know, evil, terrible, wicked, but people are still going to go trick or treating. Amen. You're still going to buy the candy. Amen. <laughs> so we got some Halloween tracks on the way, and maybe you're in a place and people come by dressed up like a bunch of goofballs and knock on your door and give them candy and a track, man. Give them lots of candy. And uh, we saw one topic we mentioned was Aikido tactics, and that was just taking the conversation that you're able to have with someone who's lost and turn that thing around about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the important thing about all that stuff is if you have a conversation with someone, just keep on target. That's what we said, right? Keep on target. So a lot of times you're going to talk with people, and they're going to want to talk about uh, this, that, and the other. The topic's going to want to go to politics, or it's going to want to go to what's going on, and and you know what? Do the best you can to just redirect them back around to their need for Jesus Christ. Well, you know, I'll tell you about Biden. I'll tell you what, I know there's a lot of problems in the world, but can I tell you about your soul? <laughs> right? Just keep, them, keep it on target. <clears throat> we talked about the important topic of sin and hell, which is extremely important when you witness. And before a person is ready to be saved, they must know that they're what? Lost. If you can't get a person lost, then you will not be able to get a person saved. All right? And uh, before a person wants to go to heaven, they must know they're headed to, you see that? And people are air conditioning hell like nobody's business. Matter of fact, people are trying to witness and tracks. You'll see tracks put out all over the place that have nothing to do with hell. Well, if there's no, there's no hell, why do I need heaven? If I can just live my life for myself, if I can go on with no consequence and I run errands for my flesh my entire life and have a good life and a, a decent family and maybe some, uh, some offspring that carry my name a little farther. Why do I need to go to heaven? <laughs> because you're going to head to hell if you don't. And uh, that's what you've got to clarify. And we said this, you've got to be careful not to push someone to receive Christ if they don't see their own sinful condition before God. That's the key. And, of course, we talked about the importance of explaining or preaching salvation and forgiveness. And we said this, it doesn't help anyone to know they're drowning if they can't get rescued. So you have that conversation, that difficult conversation, yeah, I know I'm going to hell. Well, you can't leave them in hell, man. <laughs> you got to throw them the rope, not the one they hang themselves with either. You got to throw them the rope so they can get out. That's the important piece. If you have the ability and the Lord gives you the liberty to get that far in a conversation, make sure that you're prepared to give someone the way out. 
give someone preach about salvation. If you, if you convince someone that they're going to hell, make sure you tell them how that they can have their sins forgiven and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so they can go to heaven. Amen? And that's why we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it because it pleases the Lord. Amen? But in the grand scheme of how that thing plays out, if the Lord allows you to go further and uh, you can witness to someone and tell them how to be saved, uh, then you want to make sure they get saved. Amen? Follow that thing through. <clears throat> Think about it like a project in your house. I hate projects at the house. But once I start it, I'm after it. Right? Uh, the old insurance guy came around about a year ago and uh, fired me up like a, like a bee in a bonnet. You know, someone snooping around your property, you know, walking around your property, looking at your stuff, you know, looking at your, taking pictures. I'm going to go out there with a baseball bat and tell them about Jesus, amen. But anyways, and so a couple months go by, and I get this little letter in the mail, and it says, Mr. Evans, thank you for allowing us to take your money for 25 years at this point in time. And here's a list of things that you have to fix for us in order to keep insuring you. And I said, praise the Lord, pass the chicken. It's so wonderful to have to do something for a company that I give thousands of dollars to. I didn't say that. But anyways, and I dreaded it, and I put it off. And probably like some of y'all, I just threw the letter aside and said, who do they think they are? Eventually, I got another letter in the mail. And uh, what I'm saying is, is this, uh, I finally came to the point, I said, boys, we're going to have to do something about these things of these projects. There's some trim that need to repair, some places that need painted up and patched up. And I said, it's been 20-some 20, 20 years. We better get after it. And I hated the thought about it, but once I started it, it looked pretty good. And I said, we've got to keep going. We just repainted the whole stinking house, man. And those projects are difficult, but uh, once you get started, it uh, had a real good result. And even the insurance company was impressed. Oh, Mr. Evans, it looks so wonderful. Now we need to talk about how much we need to raise your insurance because you added value. <laughs> and that's how that thing goes. But telling someone about the Lord, I'll tell you what, it's difficult sometimes, but once you start, it's like going fishing. Yeah. It's difficult to get the worms and get the hook and get everything set up and take the time. But once you get out there and start casting that thing out there, there's nothing more relaxing than a still lake or a still pond or something and just kicking back with the boys there and throwing that thing out there. And All right, now, once they get saved, here you go. The Lord's given you some fruit. <clears throat> All right, once they get saved, what, what do you need to do? Drop them like a, hot, uh, like a hot rock? No, you give them some verses on assurance. Now, you're not going to have a whole lot of time probably to deal with them at first, but you want to give some. Take your Bible, go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And here's the thing. In giving your converts verses of assurance, it'll help you also to continually assure you that you know for a fact that you're saved. All right? You're not going to be able to help someone with assurance of their salvation if you don't have assurance first. All right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, the verse here says, These things... Have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That's a great verse of assurance, great verse. I know most uh, all of you know this verse. Uh, you probably have referred to it. And as you get here, I, I would say this. You should pause when you get to the part where it says that ye may know. You see that? I'd underline that. You know why? Because this book was written so that you may no. You say, well, that's simple enough. Why, why would you have to spend time on that? Because you, you can wake up and still know that you're saved. But many times you'll wake up and you won't feel like you're saved. You're going to go through troubles as a Christian. 
where you don't even think you are a Christian. And the devil's going to come along and mess with you early on in your Christian life and later on in your Christian life. And if you don't have that thing nailed down, you will not feel like a saved individual. Have you not had altercations with family members? Have you not had, uh, uh, you know, heated discussions at the workplace? And after that was over, you're like, and I'm a Christian? And I just said, what? I'm a Christian. I just did what? Well, it doesn't depend on how you feel. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. Usually when I deal with somebody about assurance, I'll go back to that verse and I'll say, all right, you see this book right here? John says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. And I look to my new convert and I say, do you believe on the name of the Son of God? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I do, I do. <laughs> right? You believe on the name of God? All right. All right, this is to you then, right? Yep, sure is. That ye may know. All right, so this book was written so that ye may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And that's an important thing. And you can emphasize then that salvation is knowing. How about this? Salvation is a fact. Can I tell you this? Salvation is not a feeling. Now here's what happens. Because one person was emotional when they got saved, because one person cried and bawled and squalled. And when you deal with people, you'll notice that some people get very emotional when they get saved. They cry. Why? It's just it's how God made them. But not everybody is that way. Some people are very straight-laced. When I led that one, uh, I think it was Philip, Filipino to the Lord, he was very animated. He wasn't emotional, but he was animated in his prayer. Almost like I thought he was putting me on for him. But that boy meant it. You say, what is that? It's personality. And if you're more stoic, you might just be straight-laced in your prayer and ask the Lord to save you and go on your merry way. Uh, you can't trust feelings, right? You can't. All right, <clears throat> so you emphasize that salvation is knowing that you're saved because of what God said. That's it. And that salvation is not necessary feelings since feelings come and go. All right, some of you, uh, a couple of you all are married. Uh, your feelings for your spouse they come and go, don't they? Someday they're stronger than others. And the Christian, like the moon, like we just studied, your light reflected from Jesus Christ, it waxes and wanes. Some days it's much brighter. Some days it's very dim, just a very sliver, like the moon, right? All right, <clears throat> look at this one, John 5, 24. Give you another one, verses of assurance. Remember, when you lead someone to Jesus Christ, very few converts are absolutely sure of everything they just said and did. Uh, if you've been in church for a number of years, you are still learning. You consider yourself a student of the Word of God, and you're learning about the doctrines of salvation, and you're still learning what God did for you that very moment you got saved. Amen? So when someone gets saved and they're newborn, <clears throat> don't expect them to know a lot. John 5, 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word... And believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Pretty simple, isn't it? He that heareth my word, you got to have the word. Believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. After they read John 5, 24, you can ask them, did you hear the word? And they'll say, yes. And you say, did you believe? And they'll say, yes. And then you ask them, what does that verse say you have? Well, it says you have everlasting life. You see how you do that? You just teach them that. You teach them the scriptures by reading it to them and believing what it said back and forth. 
And after you go over verses on assurance of salvation, ask them again if they know for sure that they're saved and they'll go to heaven when they die. But I think it's important after you are able to lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ to give them at least a couple verses of assurance, like 1 John 5.13 and John 5.24. Another good one is John 3.16, and you all know that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You treat that one the same way. They say, do you, believe, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Of course. All right, then the Bible says you'll not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. And of course, that's talking spiritually. Now here it lies, the great task of follow-up. Give them some verses on assurance, and you might have a handful others, and I would use them if necessary. But when a person is saved, they're a newborn babe in Christ, and they're going to need some help getting started in the Christian life, aren't they? Didn't you need some help? You probably didn't even realize the help that you needed once you got saved, amen? But once someone gets saved, they're going to need some help. And it's our job to steer them in the right direction and give them guidance. Um, matter of fact, uh, it's God uses men and women to guide others to Jesus Christ, and then he uses men and women to help teach them once they are saved. And the great task of follow-up. There are several different steps you can take, but uh, uh, first of all, you've got to remember, don't be too pushy. You might be their spiritual parent, right? You might be the one responsible for leading to Jesus Christ, but you've got to be careful. You don't start bossing them around. They are human, and they have a free will, just like you do. So you've got to be careful. You not be too pushy. And I, I, I've seen a, a number of that pushy stuff over the last, oh, 30 years, and uh, it's... It kind of stinks, and some people just, they have a lot of grace with their people who led them to the Lord, and they don't say anything, but you got to be careful you're not too per- pushy. Getting saved, you got to remember, is what? It's instantaneous. You are saved like that, but it takes a process of days, months, and years for you to grow. Would you agree this morning with me, no matter if you've been saved uh, five years or 50 years, are you still growing? All right, so it's a process. All right, you're saved instantly, and that's the only thing that happens in the Christian life instantly. But growth is a process, and it takes time. Remember now also that uh, while it's a process, it takes days, weeks, months, and years, but you've got to remember that they're God's sheep now, and we have to be gentle with them. Gentleness. I think gentleness is a lost art in Christianity. We've got programs, and we've got uh, places to, that we need to be, and, uh, but, but you just have to learn to be gentle with a Christian. And you have to remember, like I said before, they have a free will. And do you want them to do right? Of course you do. But don't you want them to do right for the right reason? So it's kind of like pastoring a church. You can push people to be here and create all these programs and drives to pack the pews, or you can just do what God said, and if God so designs and deems it to be so, then he'll bring them in. Amen. You say, well... Wouldn't you like to see more? I think at this point in the ministry, I have to be content with what God has put in the pews. Because if I show discontentment at what's in the pews, it's going to go right through the pulpit and it's going to stick on you. Amen? What's in the pulpit goes out to the pews. And if I give off this aura that I'm just, I'm just, I'm not happy because a certain number of people aren't coming, then you're going to get the wrong idea about what the Lord wants us to do. And you're going to get this cockeyed idea that it's about numbers and it's about filling and it's about a ministry and it's about a kingdom and it's about making a name. And next thing you know, you're just like Martha in the kitchen 
wishing everyone was doing everything that you were doing to get the job done. But you've got to remember, don't be too pushy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, we've been studying this in our study of Thessalonians. says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You've got to be gentle with new Christians. How about this? You've got to be gentle with not-so-new Christians. Amen? Gentleness. Gentleness. One of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? Uh, and these new converts, if the Lord allows you to lead someone to Christ, they're not going to grow and mature overnight. Got to remember that. It's going to take some time. All right, so don't be too pushy, number one. How about this? Number two, this is a good one. Get him to confess Christ as his Savior. And I'll tell you what, I'll, this one right here, trying to get someone to confess Jesus Christ publicly as their Savior, is something that in my generation does not exist. I want you to think about it for a second. One of the problems with our generation is we do not confess Jesus Christ publicly. See, do you have to confess Jesus Christ publicly to be a saved? No, but the Bible says, Whoso believeth him shall not be ashamed. You ever notice the lack of public confession anymore? When I was a kid going to this church, whether you liked it or lumped it or didn't like it, doesn't matter. When someone got saved, I would regularly see people confessing Jesus Christ publicly. Say, so what does that mean? Well, that means uh, in the early 80s, they would walk an aisle, they would come down, and they'd see the pastor, and the pastor would say, well, brother so-and-so or brother so-and-so got saved here, and he just has something to say. And he'd say, oh, I got saved. What is he doing? He's confessing Christ publicly. Where? Amongst believers. What does that do? That helps you, that emboldens you to go outside that door and confess him publicly amongst the lost world. But if people aren't willing to confess Jesus Christ in this controlled setting where everyone is of like mind, it's probably not going to happen outside the door. Not a complaint, I'm just saying that's what I've noticed in our generation. But you've got to be careful that you're not too pushy with them. You've got to make sure you lead them, not drag them. <laughs> and then you've also got to encourage them to what? Confess Jesus Christ publicly. Confess them publicly. <clears throat> All right, this helps break the ice with the fact that he is now a Christian. And that's the most important thing in his life has just taken place. Of course, number three here, if he doesn't have a King James Bible, get him one. Amen? If you can't afford one, um, come see us. We'll, we'll figure out. Uh, church publication has some great Bibles. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about study Bibles for a new Christian. One of the best things you can do for a new Christian is just get a Bible with text. Text alone and let the Lord begin to speak to that Christian. And uh, you get down the road a pace and you want a you know, Ruckman reference Bible or a Schofield Bible, go for it. Amen? But a lot of times, a young Christian, all they need is the perfect, pure Word of God. Make sure they have a King James Bible. And you also want to get them some basic material uh, for new believers. Some material is helpful. Uh, something elementary and simple. Dr. Walker puts out, oh, we went through that one book. What is it about? First Steps, is it called? Handbook for New Christians. Man, that thing is great. And, of course, we're going through Dr. Walker's material here on telling others, of course, but uh, there's just a really good, simple book, and I think everyone has it. If not, I've, I think I've got a few copies of it. But it's just what you should place in the hand of a new convert. Amen? Make sure they get a King James Bible uh, and uh, s something to read about the, you know, the next steps. Okay, I'm saved. Now what? <laughs> Back to the old grind? Well, in a way, yes and no. You got a new life to live.
So get them some basic material for new believers. What is this? It's just follow-up. It's just follow-up. It's not a sales technique, but if you want to relate it to the physical work of doing the work, when, uh, and, uh, when I was in the ice cream company, the more doors I knocked on would produce more people who wanted what we were selling. But here's the thing. If I never went back, they would never buy again. So a lot of times I had to continually go back, go back, and give them exactly what they wanted in the first place, butter pecan, rocky road, chicken nuggets, right, uh, steaks, and then eventually over time, then they would automatically order from who we are. I'm just saying you got to follow up. you got to follow up, get them some basic material. How about this one? You also want to invite them to church. Don't be, ashamed, don't be afraid to invite them to church. How about this one? Don't be afraid to invite them to every service. My wife and I were having a conversation this morning, and we're, she was saying to the uh, fact that 100 years ago, America only went to church once a week. 100 years ago, we didn't have cell phones either. 100 years ago, a lot of things were different, right? 100 years ago, you, you could uh, live off of one person's income, right? 100 years ago, we were, we were in the Great Depression, weren't we? Or is that the 30s? I wasn't around. I'm not saying any of you all were, but 100 years ago, we were a dry state, weren't we? No liquor. Wouldn't that be wild? You'd go one month to dry county, man, you'd have stinking revival. <laughs> but 100 years ago, everything was different. 100 years ago, you weren't getting upset when the Wi-Fi went out. 100 years ago, you're still probably going to that little uh, shack 100 yards from the house with the moon and the stars on the door, right? <laughs> Uh, but I'm just saying, uh, things are different 100 years ago. But don't be afraid to ask them to come to Sunday school. Don't be afraid to ask them to come to morning service and evening service. Amen. Don't be afraid to ask them to come to midweek service. Why? Uh, is it true the more you eat, the more you will grow? And uh, 100 years ago, we didn't have all the distractions that we have now. So I would say this. A hundred years ago, America would have been okay for church once a week. But now, in the world that you and I live in, I'm telling you what, you need all you can get. I mean, it's a wicked, wicked, wicked day that you and I live in. The Bible says, uh, forsake not your assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you this. Do you see the day approaching? Are we getting closer? Then I believe that uh, the best that we can, we ought to meet more and more if you're able to do so. The key after a person is saved is to encourage them and equip them. See, uh, once they get saved, the matter of eternity is forever settled. They no longer have to worry about hell, which is a blessing. That's exciting. No, the guilt is gone. But now, you and I both know that that believer faces an entirely new set of problems. You say, what problems are those? How about eternal daily conflict with yourself? Conflict. One of the greatest assurances of salvation is that uh, it's just con daily conflict with your flesh and your spirit. You wake up and you want to do wrong and your spirit wants to do right. And then you spend some time with the Lord and you want to do right and you get to work and you, you want to do wrong, Right? You want to staple someone's lips shut, or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? And it's that daily conflict. 
And you know you're supposed to love the brethren. Amen. After you get saved, you learn that you're supposed to, you're taught of God to love one another. And we're known by our love one towards another. And that inner man, that old man goes, yeah, but so-and-so, he's a jerk. <laughs> and you're going, he is a jerk. And your wife's like, you are a jerk. <laughs> right? And then that spiritual man's going, yeah, but <laughs> you're supposed to love one another. And so forth. And that's that conflict back and forth, back and forth. And that's, uh, that's all inclusive of telling someone about the Lord Jesus Christ from start to finish. The motive is to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me ask you this question before we switch gears for a few minutes. Do you have someone in mind that needs to be saved? Amen. You ought to have someone in mind. You ought to have someone you're praying for right now. And I'm sure you do. Maybe it's a lost mother or father. Or maybe it's a lost family member. Whoever means the most to you right now, man, you ought to pray for them to be saved. And I ought to pray and ask for an opportunity to give the gospel. Amen? And if you're praying for opportunities, I believe the Lord just might open up some avenues. So we talked about giving your personal testimony, talking about giving tracts. And sometimes with family members, I've done this, uh, I did with my grandmother I, uh, on my dad's side. I wrote her a letter. I wrote her a letter. She wrote me back. And it was a discouraging write back. But anyways, I wrote her and wept and cried all over it, and I was probably dramatic in my presentation. I probably didn't say everything right, but I basically said, I love you, Graham, but you're going to burn like a sausage in hell if you don't get saved. And she wrote me back and with all the grace that a lost person could say and told him how much she loved me and it was good that I wrote her and said, we're all going to heaven just from a different pew, which we're not. But a letter might be something that sticks with a family member, you know what I mean? might be something that you can get more personal because you know them better. Just, look, just ask and pray uh, uh, to the Lord for different ways that you can get the gospel to them. Amen? All right, because after all, it's not what you say that matters. It's the word of God that giveth light and life. And if you can get that uh, in your mindset, that, that book, the Bible says, The entrance of thy words giveth light. So lost people sit in darkness every day. And according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it is, it says, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So the lost people in this county, you know what they are? They're just blind, right? And what's the cure? The election? No. Gas prices? No. A new economy? No. New president? No. What's the answer? Someone needs to turn the light on. And that's where we come in because Jesus Christ said what? Ye are the light of the world, right? And when Jesus Christ is inside of us, we get to take the light to a lost and dying world.